This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody. It's Jim Mallard here. Welcome to the Mallard Report. The Mallard Report is recorded in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Pond. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, live. Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. One more thing before we start. Let me turn it over to my friend that you may know from Ancient Aliens and the Curse of Oak Island and many other things. Robert Clotworthy. On the Mallard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. On the Mallard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. So I want to welcome everybody in this evening. Sorry for the slight delay. Well, of course, if you're listening to it via podcast, you have no idea what we're talking about. Um, so a little <laughs> housekeeping before we begin. Uh, I've shifted everything over to YouTube because, well, it's easier that way. I've had a had a, a long conversation that I'll spare some of the details of because I want to get to the night show. But basically, it boils down to why pay for something when somebody else is giving it to you for free. So we're going to use the YouTube chat instead of my own chat. Fair enough. Okay, my guest tonight is Dr. David Proden the author of Velocity of Information, School of Errors, uh, one of the leading school safety experts in the nation. David, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, Jim, I'm doing great. Uh, you know, <laughs> technology is a crazy thing, isn't it? But uh, I am I am thrilled to be back on the Mallory Report. I love the Mallory Report, love everybody in the duck pond. Um, and boy, there is so much going on in the world of uh, school safety um, rights. So, yeah, it is. It is definitely a uh, very busy times. So let's jump right into it. Cause I, we talked the other night. I don't remember which maybe it was Tuesday. Even I don't know. My days have all blurred together like you wouldn't believe. And we 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 wanted to talk about AI because that's kind of been the driving force over the last couple of weeks. And the first thing that came to my mind was, hey, I'll just write my uh, essay for your Mr. Perudin's class with Chat GPT, and you know we'll just call it good. What do you think? <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's completely possible. And um, I, I think AI is going to uh, curate information. Information will become uh, clearer, but it's going to dampen um, new information. But with that said, right, if I had an assignment where, you know, Jim, you were supposed to write uh, the history, the biography of George Washington, right? If you were to do that, you'd be hunting through encyclopedias, doing online searches and things like that. Um, I think AI is going to have this liberating effect and the ability to just pull a lot of that information forward. And you're not going to have the students are going to be taking time in something where it's just a hunt for information. So does this impact the integrity of information? So I checked with the university that I instruct for. They're confident that their plagiarism tools will detect um, if papers were generated through AI um, devices, uh, software, right? So I guess we'll see. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is is already proven um, that that it's been able to do qualifying exams and things like that for students. So yeah, uh, we are in a world, right? If you have an assignment, which is just harvesting information that likely could be done by AI, whether or not it would be detected by some type of plagiarism detector, um, you know, likely now, yes, there would be enough that it would match it, but in the future, maybe not. I was going to say, there's such a fine line there between plagiarism detection and general, I mean, I don't know. We were all taught to write the same way. David, help me out here. Throw it down a little <laughs> bit. Was, I mean, right? Like, right. right so, so I think, um, I, I think where we're headed with, with AI very rapidly is, um, what do we have to, what do we have to know? Right. When I was, when I was growing up, Jim, I remember in fifth grade having to memorize the capitals of all 50 States. And it didn't make a lot of sense to do that. Uh, because right. You, you looked that up and it was just information. It wasn't practical. So I think AI is going to handle a lot of this practical uh, information stuff, right? It's going to, it's going to liberate us from that. Now, the question I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what does this look like in a school setting? And I don't know the, the answer to that, but I think what's going to happen very fast is schools are going to have to determine um, what is important. Is it, is it, working with AI? Is it banning AI, right? You're going to have these big movements that are going to happen very rapidly. Um, I will tell you, I think you have to embrace AI right off the bat. If you're a, if you're a school, um, how do you work with these different AI programs that are curating information for students? And um, so, yeah, I, I'm kind of perplexed. This is, I listened to an interview that Elon Musk gave um, within the last week where he was he was saying, you know, we're closer on the path of singularity than what we think, you know, maybe 10, 15 years away. Um, so what is the information? What are we having to teach people? Is it the asking of questions? I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit lost myself right here. Well, I, I've sent out my daily reminder. Well, not my daily reminder. Obviously, I do the show on Tuesday. My Tuesday reminder today was Bill Murray with the one plus one memorize with him being the quote-unquote teacher. And we're pa I think we're past those days of having to memorize a whole bunch of information. I agree with you. And i that's not the way schools are set up, right? So they're set up with a, a level of memorization. Um, calculators, yeah, my dad talks about stories back in the 1960s, you know, when a, when a calculator was uh, banned from school. I mean, you you could, you know... If it was contraband, you couldn't have that. And now it's ubiquitous, right? We all have calculators on our on our phones and on our devices. Um, so I think what's going to happen too is with with AI, um, is it going to cite sources? So if AI is helping you to generate a paper, is it going to go back and go to those root sources and those citations? And if not, that's going to show up in plagiarism checkers, like if it's just pulling information and it's already cited somewhere. So um, I I think there's this whole thing of providence, too, of like where does the information start that might be rooted out a little more from AI. Um, so I, I, I'm school boards don't know how to handle this right now. Um, should they ban 
AI? Should they embrace AI? They don't know where to go with it. Well, I mean, like you said, they should embrace it, but how do we embrace it? Because, I mean, we're talking about throwing out hundreds, well, not hundreds of years, well, maybe hundreds of years of standard technology. I mean, not technology, but teaching, I guess, is what I was looking for. Right. Yeah. So so these become, uh, Jim, I mean, huge industry changing if, if we if we think of education as an industry right or, or feel right field oh, changing things right uh, how do we uh, you know you look at a curriculum and how do you how do you decide what to instruct and how to interface with AI right I think that is that is the question of how do you interface with AI and I don't think anybody's quite no one's on the cutting edge of that no one is leading that wave of how do you how do you have a lesson where part, you know, part of the lesson is that you're going to go to chat GPT or you're going to use this other, you know, a, these other AI, whatever emerges. Um, I don't have an, I don't have an answer for that, which seems really crazy, like to be on. Right. And, and I, but I've been talking with school administrators. I just finished a class of 15 um, uh, new school administrators uh, that I, they, they don't know where to start with this. Um, they are hesitant, right? Do we accept AI, a teacher proposing um, that part of a student can use AI to augment their research? There's nothing with board policy. Is that cheating or is it using the available resources? So that's the thing. And there's really little guidance out there. Um, so, yeah, I've been, I had, again, 15 students and, and nobody could give me a position on that. What what they would do if a teacher came to them and said, I want to use AI in this lesson next week. <laughs> so perfect segue, because we're talking about changing textbooks and all this other stuff. You wrote the Velocity of Information, which I believe came out on audiobook yesterday, right? Or is that today? Um, yeah, oh, a couple days like ago. Right now. No. Oh, it, it was today then. Perfect. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it depends, right, where the distributor, right? The Velocity of Information is now on audiobook, uh, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times. So velocity is speed in a direction, and information is coming to us. It's blasted out faster than ever. Um, so, you know, we're just, we're just saturated with information. But it's more than that, right, Jim? It is information that goes directly to us because um, the algorithms know the content that we've searched over the past 10 or 15 years. It knows our location, our GP, P, GPS location. And that information suddenly that was just thrown out at everybody, that happens. And then, you know, within minutes, information is coming directly to us, curated to our site, to our interest, to our bias, to, you know, previous purchases that we've made. So this is something that is pretty... Um, it's pretty unrivaled, right, to have this amount of information. There's something called um, a wet bulb effect, wet bulb. Um, so let me explain actually what a wet bulb is. So on a humid day, you have two, well, you have two thermometers. And you take one and you put a muslin um, cloth over it that's damp and you're running air, like a fan over it. And then you have another just regular thermometer next to it you're not doing anything um the temperature between those two thermometers so a wet bulb if it's blowing and it's evaporating it's sucking heat one of the thermometers should be lower so right so then if you're outside 
it, you'd feel comfortable because it's not very humid outside. Now, if you, you know, are blowing air over this thermometer, nothing is evaporating because the air is already fully saturated. You'd feel humid and it would be uncomfortable. And that's where we're at right now with information in our environment. There's so much information out there and you can't escape it anywhere. So people are inundated through their phones, on TV, the, you know, through billboards, through the conversation that other people are having, right? The conversations because it's, it's kind of media centric. So it is really burning out people. Um, and, I, and in the book, I talked about this concept of finite voltage at 90 days in chaos, people burn out. And, you know, we've kind of we, we've seen that through the pandemic. And I think it now continues through um, inflation, through the war with Ukraine, We're we're in this state of chaos, kind of this orbit of chaos. And we've been there for about three years. Um, and I think it's it's a very frightening kind of scenario for us. Um, so one of the things I wrote about in the velocity of information is, so we all have markers in our lives to um, pass time. So those could be holidays, right? So St. Patrick's Day, 4th of July, Halloween, right? We're passing through time. What happened in 2021 is the holidays kind of blended together. So people didn't take down their Christmas trees. You could go on Amazon. You could go on Etsy in March and find St. Patrick decorations for Christmas trees. You could go in July and find 4th of July decorations for Christmas trees because people weren't taking the trees down. So we've kind of, um, we've, we've kind of mashed everything together over the last few years and we're not transitioning crisply anymore. And I think, you know, you and I talked about it, Jim, even the advertising industry of back to school or other things. I mean, it's kind of, those aren't in line anymore. It's kind of like any, everything is just mushed together. Is that your perception? Yeah, I was gonna say because I know, like I said, I told you back on July first, I was or noticing uh, back to school stuff, and now you're seeing holiday stuff on sale before the holiday, which blows my mind. Yeah, it is. Um, it, you're right. You're right. And you know, I'll, also, you know, with the velocity of information, the way that we that we look at the world, you know, changed. Um, right. Every everybody woke up in March of 2020. And we were deemed essential or non-essential. So you were told to stay home or you were told to go to work, right? Or this is going to be remote. This is going to be in person. So, wow, now every decision people make, right? The Their decision-making, their speed of decision-making, there has to be something that's brought in there of, well, what happens if I am deemed essential or non-essential again? Here's an example. In Seattle, um, you know, people who were deemed non-essential, right, told to work from home, they might live in a 40, 50-story high-rise. So I talked with a realtor out there, and she said, you know, that became very difficult for people to manage because you can only have one person in an elevator at a time because of social distancing. So you'd have this, this long social distance line of people waiting to get up to their apartment, you know, after going to the store. And, and pretty soon, so, like, you know, do you want to live in a downtown area where it's going to take you 20 minutes to get up to your apartment and also where the buses might shut down or they might limit, 
you know, to five people on a bus or something like that. So, you know, in careers, right? If you're going to choose a career, are you going to live in the city? Are you going to live in the country? Um, these are, I, you know, I, I talked to somebody, um, I talked to a dentist and at the onset of the pandemic, you know, the first few weeks said, I don't know what's going to happen, right? Because there's no guidance and we're I'm shut down. And so, you know, would you be a dentist again, knowing, you know, essential, non-essential? So, so this whole speed of information and the types of decisions we're having to make have drastically changed in the last 36 months. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to think about all the different changes and difference in reality. Okay, Shifting Gears brought to you by evergreenpodcast.com. Shifting Gears brought to you by evergreenpodcast.com. Now, this is where we got fun the other night. We started talking about deep fakes, and I've been watching a lot of these on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Of like, like President Trump saying all sorts of, I mean, anyways, or Biden, or any, any number of politicians, right? I mean, so they're already circulating out there saying whatever they want to say, but if it gets into your local school, if your local teacher's saying something that may or not may not be true or may or may not be horrible yikes what okay so you we were saying we don't have policies for ai earlier i can't imagine your local scoreboard has, has even wanted to think about this yet you're, you're absolutely right so of the you know roughly 50 students for example again these are these are aspiring or new administrators that i've worked with in the last year in my classes they do not have policies for deep fakes in school. And, and, and so let's run through um, let's run through something that actually happened last month. It was March 8th. Um, Vice News did an article. There were three high school students uh, just north of New York City. They posted videos on TikTok that appeared to show a nearby middle school principal and a member of law enforcement making violent and racist remarks. Uh, the videos were determined to be deep fakes and they were created by students at Carmel high school. Right. But there was a pro they had to do a lot of interviewing. Um, there was a lot that went into that. Um, but you know, it doesn't take much right now for, to go in with, with a app or to hire somebody, you know, for $20 or 50, but this was okay. This, this in New York, this was high school students who were able to create these deep fakes from existing video that was online. And, and again, you know, software that can take a voice sample and make it pretty close mm -hmm. to, um, you know, an, an output file that would be pretty close uh, to that person's voice. So schools don't, they're not even thinking about this, but they have to, because this again is a tsunami. This is, this, you can look and see that this is going to hit. Um, so the questions come up, right, Jim, of what do you do if uh, a staff member, a student says, here, I have a video, and it's a staff member saying... Um, the Mauer report sucks. Right. <laughs> right. And and the, so the staff, you know, the staff member is, is brought in by administration or even like the video gets submitted, you know, anonymously. And they're saying, hey, like, you know, what's the deal? We've got this video here. And what administration probably would do right now is, is they would default and they would put that person on administrative leave while they investigate it, as they would for any other um, claim of harassment or bullying or inappropriate conduct by that staff member. They would put that staff member on leave while they investigate. It might be paid leave, but still, right? So 
Um, so this person, what are they going to say? I didn't say that, but then, you, you know, you'd be, well, here's the video that you are saying it, or, um, you know, you are making this, the, you know, demonstrating these behaviors, right. The, the motions or whatever it is. So, um, I, I think that's, I think that's terrifying, right? Like, how do you, first, what is the process for a board of education? Are they going to put somebody on a, a, a paid leave? I don't know. How would they investigate this? I mean, nobody has school staff trained to look at this and to to determine if the video itself has been uh, manipulated. You go to the police department, you're going to be waiting in line, right? Because they don't have the, the resources and the people to do this, especially once this starts to roll, once this is happening um, you know, almost daily or more multiple times a day. So yeah, board of education policy needs to address this. And, you know, this is where we go back into what is authentic. And I think it's really interesting, Jim, I, you know, back in, what was it? The general grant at city point. So there's a famous picture, general grant at city point, general Ulysses S grant. Um, but it was a photo montage that was back in the 18, 50s. So you can look up General Grant at City Point. And um, <laughs> so it was pretty common, actually, back in, you know, the 1800s with early uh, uh, photography to create these, quote unquote, retouched or what we call today, like photoshopped images where it's either a collage or, some, you know, things are edited out. And I mean, you could pay to like have your deceased relative like in you know, next to you in a picture, you know, like a double exposure type thing. Um, but some of these photos are in the Library of Congress and they're considered to be authentic narratives. You know, they're not with a little line underneath saying, by the way, this is retouched and we don't know what the original ever looked like. So, Jim, I mean, think about it. Um, you know, you're watching TV and they're like, here's the new phone and you take a picture and then you can click on these three things and erase these two people and this car in back, right? So in an instant, you can change the authentic record. Um, so that is also terrifying. And it's terrifying, you know, it's marketed, it's ubiquitous, we're just used to it right now. So what is authentic? And schools are going to have to answer that question. I mean, we could have a liar's, a liar's dividend here. So you have, you know, um, a star athlete on another team that you're going to play, right? You put out a deep fake video and that athlete is, you know, suspended or unable to play for 48 hours as that video is being investigated. Um, and I, I think too, I think Jim, what's going to happen, this is going to give rise very quickly to an entire industry that is going to investigate deep fakes. Um, you know, school safety is a $3 billion industry. And when we think of school safety, we're thinking of harm, uh, school shootings, violence, I think what is going to happen, vendors are going to come to school and they'll say, listen, upload this video to our AI software program, right? And we will determine if it is a deep fake. But, you know, if we can't determine for sure, we'll put you in a confidence zone. We're 80% sure our software that this is a deep fake. So then as a board of education, you have to decide what you do. Is 80% mean then that person... You know, it, you consider this to be authentic. Well, what about the 20% chance that it's, or, or you know, a, a deep fake? And uh, so 
it is so crazy. Um, and it was June of 2019, Congress held their first, I talked about this on uh, PBS uh, a couple of years ago, Congress in 20, June of 2019 held their first hearing devoted primarily to the threat of artificially generated imagery. So, you know, we are so far um, behind on this. It is absolutely terrifying. Um, unless you don't... I'm sure you've seen... I'm sure you've seen the clips from the TikTok hearing the other day, and I'm sure you're just terrified about technology as I am at this point. Um, Does this show yeah, connect I, to your Wi-Fi? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, boy, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, so, so Jim, I think where this takes us with schools is a really interesting um, intersection, and that's how do you get the authentic record of what happened in a classroom, right? So. Um, you know, again, a, a video surfaces or something, or or how do you get the authentic record or the providence, the the actual starting line? And you know, schools typically don't record what happens in classrooms. They record hallways, right? But they're or outside of school, but they're not recording classrooms. Part part of that also is, you know, teachers are teaching a curriculum that the school is paid for, so it's proprietary. That curriculum can't be be, um, you know, relayed publicly back out because it's, it's proprietary information, but you know, what's going to happen? Is it going to take, um, you know, a flurry of 10 teachers in one school in one week to be the target or the recipient of deep fakes or even, you know, administration. And they're going to go to the school board and say, we need an authentic record. Or in other words, teachers are going to be wearing body cameras or there'll be a static camera in more settings including the classroom that's going to create that um, authentic recording that they'll be able to go back to during the investigation as crazy as it sounds i think what is going to drive body cams in school and video in classrooms isn't anything to do with guns isn't anything to do with with threats of violence it's going to be deep fakes and I think it's going to be the integrity of the teaching profession teacher saying, I, I can't take this risk, right? I can't be in here and not have this authentic record that's happening, um, you know, at this w- while I'm teaching, right? Um, so that's something I never thought about until the last year. And I thought, yeah, you know, this, this is probably going to happen. We are probably going to run into... Uh, Board of Education policies and cameras in schools, and it's not going to cameras in classrooms or cameras on teachers. It's not going to be because of violence. It's not going to be because of active shooters. It's going to be because of deep fakes and just protecting and establishing an authentic record. Yeah, as I say, it's wild because we've been having these conversations about school safety for, what, four years now or so. And and I never thought we'd be here. I I never... You know, again, I I've, I study this right, and and I wrote School of Airs. I never expected that we would be traveling down this this road. Um, I'll tell you though, the moment um, the moment this hit me was when I was watching a major league baseball game. <laughs> so it was it was in the summer of 2020. It was Fox, and they it, and so the stadiums were closed, right? You with with the pandemic. Um, so you had like, you know, the cardboard cutouts in the stands or just nobody in the players, the players would be playing. 
And Fox showed that they could put fans in the stands, digital avatars in the stands, digital humans. And they could, you know, okay, here it's 70% Milwaukee Brewer fans. Here it's 70% Cub fans. Here they're doing the wave. Here they're, you know, changing their clothes and they're just pressing buttons. And I'm looking at that thinking, oh my goodness, like (laughs) that's terrifying because that could, you know, that could be changing the density of people at a political event. So it looks like it was highly attended when it wasn't. It could, uh, if there was a a protest, um, lines in front of a grocery, I mean, all these things could be manipulated with that same technology that obviously would get cheaper and, and more ubiquitous in more people's hands. So, yeah, that's when I started to think, how are we going to get this authentic record? And then I started to see that, you know, I just shared with the principal or that, that school administrator in New York. And there are more and more situations like that, that are popping up on the internet. Um, one was a, a high school cheerleader who was um, accused of vaping and she was uh, temporarily taken off of the cheerleading team. And her mom said she did not vape. Um, this video has been altered, right? It's been deep faked. And it turned out that it was deep faked. Um, but yet this this cheerleader lost time on the team uh, because of that. So, yeah, this to me, this is um, this is terrifying. And it's one of those things where I, I think the people that are are cognizant of it, um, they don't want to. There's there's a massive amount of work that would have to come into how are you going to address that? So, you know, there's there's kind of this pause, right? Is a state going to jump in? Is this going to be some software program that each state will buy or the federal government would buy and then schools could upload these videos? And then it kind of gets really weird too, right, Jim? Because then the AI of the videos gets better at detecting deep fakes, but then it's a circle because then the deep fakes get better. I was going (laughs) to say, is the AI good enough to detect the fakes in the first place? That is exactly the question. And, And so where I live here in Wisconsin, we have 421 school districts. And if they're left to their own devices, you know, they're going to, per- just like school safety, there isn't re- inter-rater reliability. Each does it on their own. Um, so you're going to have school districts that are, have all kinds of different programs, or maybe some where it'll be just an administrator or a team of three people that will look at a video and they'll try to identify. Or you'll see some guide that'll come out and say, look for this. You know, maybe there's there's some fuzziness around the ears on a deep fake. It'll be all this crazy stuff, right? <laughs> so, um, but nobody is on this. Nobody has a board of education policy and you could shut down public education with this in a month. If it's, if this was coordinated, look at what swatting has done. And Jim, um, recently it, w- it was discovered that swatting swatting is when, um, numerous school, school buildings or school districts in a state, um, there's a call that there's an active shooter in the school. So maybe, so in our state, I think on one day there was like 20 or 30 swatting and it's, it's not the calls, right. Come in, but these are not authentic events. Um, but you have to have the full police response. And so, but you could with a, with these, these deep fakes, right. And, and you could definitely have this, um, erosion and the trust of the public institution of, of education. And it doesn't stop there, right? It could be, um, it, it could go anywhere. I mean, it could be the postal service. I mean, it could be 
companies, you know, Amazon drivers and things like that. I mean, and wh where does this stop? So, um, but just looking from the school side, I, I don't see, I, I, I see this um, being able to significantly alter schools in a matter of uh, months. If not, I mean, it could just happen at any point. We could be predicting it happening this week, next week. I mean, we could be on the edge of this, and you could say you heard it here first. Okay. You so could say, you, yeah, you, you, no, you could say that, Jim. And the other part is, what if this is already built into a program, right? Because I I lost track a little bit when I was talking about um, swatting. The swatting came back, and it was found to be in a program that somebody developed and and somebody, you know, kind of like a, a, a dark web type thing, right, was paid 50 bucks and they created a program to randomly select districts and send out this AI generated voice, which would be, you know, pretty close. And, and you know, there's there's a, a shooter in the school. Right. Um, so what if this this is out there as a virus or what if this kind of gets in the system so it's not centralized, it's actually cloud-based and it's it hits at a certain time? So what if the AI is just out there scanning like this show or it's scanning, you know, random school classroom, um, you know, presentations or feeds and it's just taking that in? So this is a thing where I think as I talked about these deep fakes in schools, you think it's going to be students who attend that school are going to be the ones recording and doing the deep fakes. It might actually be decentralized. It might be this deep fake is created, you know, on the other side of the world. Right. And then is sent forward to the school. So um, that is the part that I think is even more terrifying is how do you investigate this when you don't know where it originated? So I got a question. I got a couple of questions here from Germantown runners. So we'll try to get them, but I want to get this first one first, because this is a good one. Uh, Elon Musk said we should pump the brakes. Oh, I forgot the big air quotes. Excuse me. Pump the brakes. They're, they're the big air quotes. On, uh, on AI until we can collectively get our heads around the ramifications of this technology. What do you think? I heard that interview, right? And I agree, but I think the reality is it's not going to happen. Um, it, it simply isn't going to happen. Um, I, I believe it was in that same interview in Germantown Runner could maybe confirm on this where Elon Musk said, you know, regulation, the car industry is, is heavily regulated. So all the stuff to build a Tesla that you have to go through and that you have to send a rocket up. But yet, you know, um, there are more satellites being put up every day through the world, you know, countries or, or um, in, you know, um, entrepreneurs or businesses in Mexico, Central America, just send these things up. Um, so, it sounds good to say that, right? And it probably is the right thing, but how can you do that? And and also, it's not centralized, right? You can't look at one, um, you know, what was it? Kind of in the movie, like Terminator, right? Terminator 2, you can get to like where the, the, the center is of the, the data center. And I don't think it is that way. It, everything is cloud-based, so it's replicated on different computers. Um, so, you know, I... I understand the pump the brakes i think that made sense 10 years ago or five years ago now i think it's just um so in in the archive right it looks like you tried to close the door but the horses are already out right 
Um, because I don't believe yeah, you're, you're far too late in the process when I've used chat GPT. Like, no, you, you are, no, you are. Um, so that's the thing, right? I, and I think, I think the reality, if we're going to be completely honest is this is way further down the road than what the public realizes. Right. Um, and I'll go back to, I think this was fascinating. So Michaela Sosa, S-A-U-S-O, Michaela Sosa. In 2016, Michaela Sosa hit the scene. Um, and she was uh, like a 19-year-old from L.A. and had uh, a several million Instagram followers. And everybody was like Michaela Sosa, right? You know, just and and she was interacting with other people. Here's the thing. Michaela Sosa in 2016, she was an avatar. She was created, right? There is no human Michaela Sosa, but they, um, the team, I guess, I don't know what they call themselves. It was, it was, it's just some wacky name, um, dreamers or creative, whatever. Um, so they made it, you know, they, they created this whole backstory, um, and they put it out on social media, you know, like her high school yearbook photo and the clubs that she was in and all this stuff. She she um, modeled clothing for Calvin Klein. And nobody knew this until about 2019, 2020. They came out and said, um, yeah, she's actually an avatar. Levi's, Jim, last week, Levi's, Levi Strauss said, we are going to be using digital avatars to model our clothes, not that they said that exclusively, exclusively, but they did say it. So you had um, a number of actors and, and also um, uh, just well, people from the acting uh, profession were coming out and saying, so, so are you like eliminating our jobs and you're creating artificial authenticity because you are creating avatars that are representing um, different cultures or ethnicities and i mean it's, it's really weird so um or you know you could weirder, create it. it gets weirder than that right because then we we could avatar elvis and you could avatar elvis you could avatar you know a person yeah. with a disability right so instead of having an authentic actor in a wheel a wheelchair like someone who who is wheelchair bound you could just digitally create um a uh, avatar that you're using for marketing that uses a wheelchair. So this is, I, I think we go back to the Michaela Sosa, which is, was really fascinating when I presented on PBS about that. You know, that's, we're looking now, that's seven years ago. And the technology at that point crossed what's called the uncanny valley. So usually you could look, like in the Polar Express, like that's a good movie. Polar Express came out like, what, about 20 years ago, Tom Hanks and um, the animated kid, going to the North Pole doesn't believe in Santa, but um, that was, there were a, a lot of reactions from kids where it felt weird. It was cringy, right? Because the a, the avatars, the creation wasn't quite there. Um, so there, there's this term called the uncanny Valley. I, I forget it was a Japanese um, um, professor that came up with that term, I think in the seventies saying, you know, you'd always be able to tell if something was, uh, digital avatar or kind of a deep fake, it would always have this feel to it. You'd be able to pick it out. You can't do that anymore. Um, so that is something we know we're, we're past the uncanny Valley. 
Um, yeah, you know, when I when I was watching that Elon Musk interview, he was pretty scared. <laughs> I mean, you could tell he was nervous about where things are going to go um, with, I think, the use of deep fakes. And, and again, you know, Jim, remember back 15 years ago, the commercials, and it was LifeLock. Here's my social security number on the side of my car, or on my garage door, right? And, you know, subscribe to LifeLock. Um, now, I don't know anything about the LifeLock product, but I think you are going to see very soon something of, of your insurance company is going to market this rider if you are the victim of a deep fake, right, um, to damage your reputation. Or you're going to see this on TV. You're going to start seeing commercials. Hey, you know, have you been deep faked and it's hurt your reputation? Call this number or subscribe to this service and we'll be scanning and, you know, or we'll give you up to $50,000 in you know, research and, and support it. I, so I see this as a, the insurance industry, right. Well, even is if they can't do anything, it does take your money and run. I don't know. I don't know what, uh, but I mean, I, but I think people are <laughs> going to be so panicked and they're just going to scramble at this. So if, if you put this out there, if this was a TV commercial tonight, right. If this is after the, the 10 o'clock news and it's like, you know, the, you don't want to be the victim of a deep fake or, you know, if you are like, what are you well, going to do? I can see the scary commercial right now. I can see, I can see the commercial too. <laughs> um, and and you will have people who will jump at that. And that's where I think the vendors are going to come into this. And I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, uh, some of the vendors will try to authentically try their best to to remedy this, and others will just be in it because the the fear, right? And they they can uh, they can exploit this, um, but. I, so, so yeah, this, this is spun in a direction where I didn't expect to be talking about this. I didn't expect to bring it into, you know, a course syllabus. Um, but again, if I was asked what the number one threat to schools was or is right now, I would say deep fakes hands down. It's deep fakes. So I want you to run that scenario by me that you run at the end of your classes. Cause I ran it by a bunch of people that I've talked to in the course of the last week. And I just want to see the pawn's reaction to it. Are you talking about the uh, the drone? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So here's a scenario that I run past my students, um, and they can only answer yes or no. You can't give so, any conditions. Yes, every, but everybody got that. Yes or no. You have to answer yes or no. You can't have any any riders, any stipulations. So here's the scenario: um, you have a rural elementary school, and um, let's say a, a second grade student has wandered from the playground into a wooded area in back of the school. And suddenly, you know, you realize the student is, is missing. Um, so the off the, the recess aide tells, you know, the office and as the administrator, they tell you, we have a student missing. All right. So you say, all right, call, call nine one one. And you gather some teachers and you go out and you start to figure out how you're going to break up and look for the student. As you're out there, there's a man who runs over to the school carrying a, you know, like luggage, right? And Hopefully he's dressed more like you than me. But. <laughs> and he says, <laughs> he, he says, um, he says, uh, who's the, who's the principal over here? And you're like, I'm the principal. Okay. I can help you. What are you talking about? I have a scanner. I have a police scanner. I heard the call for the missing, the lost student. I have a drone. 
Um, I can get this drone in the air. It has can it has camera, infrared, all the you know the heat sink. I I I have I can get this thirty seconds and help you look, and then we stop right there. And I say, what do you do? Do you do you accept the drone that this person is going to contribute this drone and and help in this rescue, or do you say no? What do you do? So and then so again, you have an index card and you have to write. Yes, I would accept the drone or no, I would decline, you know, the offer of the drone. And you don't put your name on it. And again, you can't do anything else. So I guess let's, I won't say how that comes out, but how about people in the pond? I mean, what are they, what would they do? So why, give me the, where can people find the velocity of information? Will they give because uh, of the lag time between the live and our conversation? Oh yeah. So, um, the velocity of information, right. is on, it's places itself, <laughs> places itself books. So you can get it off of Amazon. Um, the audio book, um, will be on Amazon. It's a little bit later. It's on Barnes and Noble right now. So you'd have to search around. Um, but the, the audio book is out there on Spotify and, um, so it's available, available in Kindle, uh, paperback and audiobooks. So whatever works for you. Kindle has an awesome version because there's a lot of graphics um, in the book and, and photos that you can work with in Kindle. But the audiobook was narrated by Ben Hawk, um, who's an, an actor. He did a phenomenal job and it's priced really reasonable. Um, I think the early release price is $8.99 and it goes up a couple dollars after that. So it's a really great listen. 12 interviews. So you're getting, you know, Larry Lawton, America's biggest jewel thief. Um, you're listening to, uh, Linda Stone who talked about attention, um, and, and how our attention, um, had, there's this continuous partial attention. It's just amazing stuff. Um, so yeah, the velocity of information and it's all over the world, which is really cool. Uh, the book is, you know, in, in the United Arab Emirates in Germany, in China, um, it's showing up in libraries and universities. So, uh, I've, I've really been, uh, happy with, uh, how people have been receptive to the book. And I think it's a, it's a terrific document, um, of the year 2020. It's not solely about 2020, but I have 471 endnotes. Again, a lot of images, you know, remember when we all had the alerts coming on our phones saying, Hey, you, you know, your governor is going to be on TV tonight. Like I have screenshots of those that are in the book and things that people might've forgotten, you know, like your essential papers to travel, you know, and that was, that's brought up in the book. So, and again, it's this thing of, if you get a network, Jim, so there's a big part of the book on member check network. If you get five people together and you have them check what, what's happening at the store, you know, where was it, uh, is it, is it cashless now where you're at, you know, in, in Pennsylvania versus Wisconsin and what was in stock, what wasn't in stock. Tell me what's happening. Are the hospitals delaying procedures, um, you know, right now? So what, what is happening? Are the, they close down the parks that they take the hoops down at the local park is your, you know, state park closed. Um, so those types of things are a quick way to find out authentically what is happening versus what the news is telling you, because the news is just, you know, replicating, um, from one, you know, one, one station to another, to another, to another. So how to build that network. And if you get five people together, you can get pretty accurate information with just five people. So I'm surprised, David, of the three people that answered, all three of them said yes. So I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. So you can answer for me why we should say no. 
Okay. Well, well, first of all, I, I think you should say yes, but why you would say no. So when I run this in class, um, it is almost a 50, 50 split. So the people who say no, they say it's not in our policy. We've never practiced for this. Um, if this person is streaming this because right, they're aware that video can be live streamed. What if, you know, they, they, they are live streaming this and this rescue turns out poorly for us, you know, or, or this, this effort. Um, but they're, they're really lacking discretion, right? They feel they'll say yes, but I have to get approval, right? Yes. But I have to call my superintendent or yes, but I have to take this person's ID and run it through our background check thing to see if they're a registered offender. Right. So they'll say stuff like, yes, you can't do that. Um, so people, uh, people are very afraid of getting in trouble, even though when we break this down and we have this discussion deeper, most will say, yeah, it's a resource. We should use it if we can possibly, you know, find this, this kid, but they get, they get really scared because you know, how you can be portrayed by the media and, it, and administration turns over in schools, the superintendents last two years. So maybe, you know, that person, you don't know very well, you're not sure the board of education has your back. You don't know how the media is going to portray this. So, and then, you know, I, I have a scenario. Well, what happens if this person contributed the drone and they help locate the child, but a day later you find out that person is, you know, also a, a convicted felon, right? So then how does that change things? You know, does it change things or should it change things, right? So these, these are the, the kinds of questions. So if you're thinking that's where schools are at and now think of deep fakes, right? So it is a huge gap. Um, but yeah, who has professional discretion? Who has professional discretion? And then um, is the Board of Education going to have your back? Is, uh, well, this is another so, question that Jeremy Town remember me ask you about. Oh, hold on, let me get it here so I can ask it correctly. Not what I'm going to ask you. Uh, should school boards with uh, be nonpartisan or have candidates allied with a political party? Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, I think school boards should be nonpartisan. Um, but <laughs> that's changing. You are clearly seeing school boards, which are becoming partisan and people are running campaigns I've never seen before. So you're running for a position that might pay you $3,000 a year and you're running a $10,000 campaign. Right. Um, and I, which, so, which, uh, I'm not good at math. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, I think, you know, to these people, you're seeing these school board campaigns um, really going to a different level and, and city council type things um, where you're and right. The backing of different groups um, behind candidates is very clear in some of these races. And that was never the case or it was very seldom the case um, even five years ago. So, yeah, it, it is. It's very different now. I don't think it should be partisan, but it seems like that is is much more frequently observed today. As we tap around the issues, it should be the children first. It shouldn't matter. But anyways, we'll, right. we'll tap. We'll tap right back out of that conversation because I know there's a lot of sticky widgets, widgets for either of us on that conversation. But let's go back to AI and in the classroom because now we've got our camera mounted up there, so we can get the realistic. Uh, authentic account is what you called it earlier, right? Right. 
Right. Now, now can I throw some AI monitoring software on there so I can monitor my kids and maybe find the next, uh, maybe maybe not necessarily school shooter, but some, but, you know, because I've mentioned the uh, the pool AI that I sent, I, did I send it to you or maybe you've seen it. No, you did, you did. You did. Yeah. Yeah. Someone um, who, you know, needs help. Right. So someone who, so, so what you're talking about, right, is, is AI and like lifeguards can, could, could yeah. use, it could be set up in, in, if someone is, is drowning and they have certain flailing motion that is associated with drowning, it, it identifies that motion or, yeah, you know, can in recognize the facial features now for somebody who's depressed. Right. So, so that, so right. That software e- exists. And, and I think there's a lot of good with that software and I've, I've, spoken i've had vendors who have demonstrated some of this um software to me right if you're making a motion and it's not just detecting a weapon but if you're making a motion to try to hit somebody or if you had a knife or something like this there's certain pattern motions that go with those i mean and we're talking of of thousands and thousands and thousands of of of, of videos and and then you know identifying the motions that precede the the behavior so the the question is, could AI be built into that same camera that's in the classroom? Yeah, it, it could be. There'd be vendors who could do that tomorrow that I know who could do that. Now, is it how effective is that? Um, you know, it's very, that would be very much in its infancy. Um, but again, I it, it's hard to you know when I when I wrote School of Errors when I talked about school safety in 2013. I was, I have cautioned people about vendors, but we've seen a lot of failure in just personnel responses, right? To investigate threats, law enforcement responses have been questionable in, in some very high profile uh, school shootings. So, you know, I, I think this becomes more appealing to school boards and, but you're, you're right. I, 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 I can envision school boards agreeing to that if that proposal is out there and some of them are doing it right now um, say, it won't be long but as sarah the wood duck just pointed out well now i'm getting in trouble for something i fake only did because i'm trying to get out of class <laughs> yeah right <laughs> no jim that's a great question though because so what if it does happen right so what if it detects that then you're going to have to go back to the authentic image right and you're going to have to have a human look at that and say no that was feigning the the movement i mean it could be like someone who's faking drowning right and then the ai activates the things so so right you're you're always going to have this this kind of give and take this battle back and forth of once the system's there people figure out how to work around the system and then there'll be adjustments to the system then there'll be workarounds and but right there is a perfect scenario. Um, and I would love to see that at a conference in schools. Nobody presents on that. But that is, wow. It, you know, the other thing, Jim, we talked about was who vets this stuff? Who yeah. who tells you that this works? And, and there's something called shadow vetting. It's a term that I came up with, shadow vetting. And I think you look at it the district next sense. to you. So lay it out here so we can get it out there. Yeah, you can. look at the school district next to you and it's like, well, they bought this expensive, you know, AI system and all of this. They must have done their research. Right. So, and we trust them. So we'll just accept it here. But then you don't know if they really did the research. You're not doing your research. Maybe they thought the same thing. Here's a district that 
must have done the research. And, you know, you could go many nodes. You could go down in a in hundred districts away where yeah, someone when, actually once you, did this. Once you sold it to one, you've sold it to everybody. One, that's You're right on. And, the whole, and then it's saturation. So vendors will say, you know, this is in 300 schools. Well, that's different than saying we piloted it in 10 schools and we're taking trials of, of how to improve it or whatever. It's saturation. But you're right. Once you've sold it to one, everybody looks at that as customer perceived value and says, I have to have that. We have to have that in our school. And if the money comes out there through grant funding, they'll put it in customer perceived value. So um, so that I think is going to open the door to to a lot of that AI possibility in the classroom. But I mean, if I'm going into teaching next as my profession, you know, we talked essential, non-essential. I, I believe you're, you have to believe you will be in an environment where everything you do on the clock will be recorded um, in that setting. And it might not be different, again, in other jobs, right? It might be if you're working, you know, at a, at a grocery store. I mean. Yeah, any number uh, of things could happen here where you're going to be recorded all the time. Yeah, I think, I think that authentic record um, or, you know, in in the medical field, right? At a hospital or if, what, um, a counselor, right? I mean, that would get really strange, wouldn't it? Or even, you know, discussions with a lawyer. Uh, what if something is, is created in deep, I mean, like, holy smokes. I mean, you can start to think about this, but I think the school stuff is where it's probably most likely to show up first. So here, here's the fun one, David, back to your uh, theory about people just buying stuff just because number two pencils somebody bought a number two pencil and they, they had a good salesman that day and next thing you know everybody's just number two pencils instead of number ones are you serious about that no I, uh, no but it makes sense doesn't it i mean there's no reason number one pencils weren't number one right <laughs> right those <laughs> number one pencils those things are hard no you're right though i mean right um it's i, I mean that is that is a that's a spot-on example um and nobody, you know, nobody takes the time to to pilot, you know, this this stuff. And there's no long term study. There's, you know, one of the things schools did too is is they would relax um, door codes, or I shouldn't say relax. They would change door codes. Um, so instead of a simple pull down lever to get out of a door, maybe it would be a keypad plus a lever, so it'd be like two locking devices. But like, you know, that was never tested with a student with a disability, you know, or um, with 4K kids, right? Four-year-old kids in a four-year-old community classroom that now the door handle that they've been used to their entire life now has some numbers up on the wall that you have to press first and then you have to pull the handle down for two seconds and then it'll release. And so, so yeah, nobody knows if these things really work or if, you know, they might work in one scenario. You know, bollards are an example, right? Like bollards seem to make sense more and more in front of some doors, but you, you know, are you going to bollard across an entire, you know, basically a school because someone could go up on a, on a sidewalk or up on a playground? So, but yeah, I, I think if you come back to like, you know, show me the evidence that this works, um, that's really that's uh, that's a really hard question for people to answer, so and that it doesn't have entropy, right? That it doesn't fatigue. That you don't. It maybe it worked really well. Staff were trained, but then next year you have forty percent of your staff is new and they have been trained, right? So they don't know how to use these systems. Or kids come in and they don't know 
how to use these reporting systems or you have new parents into the district. So um, these these things also tend to fatigue. There's a safety fatigue that happens. Um, so. so here we go. So I got my last question for you. I don't know if I've asked you this one before. This has been around for a while, but I don't think it's been around for you yet. So maybe we're, here we go. What's your favorite breakfast? <laughs> my favorite, my favorite breakfast. Uh, I'm going with uh, scrambled eggs and and uh, bacon. Pretty solid, David. And and a green a granny uh, green apple to go with that. So thanks for playing with me earlier. I think we've got it figured out now. <laughs> Technology is crazy. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me on the Mallory Report. Uh, there you go. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was looking for the outro music, you know, all this new stuff, and I moved it around on my screen. Okay, so here we go. Now we're going to play it. <laughs> it's the Mallard Report. Yeah, the Mallard Report. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network.